0: The last part of John chapter 6, and those of you who have been here every week of the last five weeks, we've been pretty methodically going through this chapter, thanks to the lectionary giving it to us every week. Next week we go back to the Gospel of Mark, but here we are, the last few verses. And it begins, as last week's reading did, with the last few verses of last week's reading as the first verses of this week's reading. So if you think you've heard this before, you have. forever he said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum when many of his disciples heard it they said this teaching is difficult who can accept it but Jesus being aware that his disciples were complaining about it said to them does this offend you Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones who did not believe and who were the ones that would betray him. And he said, for this reason I have told you, that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. For the Word of God in Scripture, for the Word of God among us, for the Word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Does this offend you? Too right it does. Why wouldn't it? I mean, we're talking... Cannibalism, we're talking blood and flesh and... But I don't think it's just that, I, I don't think they were offended for that reason, these disciples. They weren't stupid. Like us, they were aware that this was heavily metaphoric language. Deeply, uh, illustrative language. It's too easy to assume that because they lived then and we live now that they were uneducated and unsophisticated and we are the enlightened. That's what got us colonialism. That's what got us in a mess in Australia. That's what got us in a mess in Afghanistan. So we know better. They don't. But if we are a bit more charitable in our thoughts about other people, it's pretty clear that they would have as easily as us understood metaphoric language. Jesus used it all the time. Other teachers used it all the time. That's the way we communicate. What they were offended by was Jesus was breaking down a fundamental premise of their worldview, their way of understanding the world. The world is divided into two bits, the up there bit and the down here bit. And possibly, depending on which part of the Bible you read at which time, maybe there's a third bit down the bottom. But God's up there and we're down here and there's a division between us. This is the bread that came down from heaven, Jesus said. This is the way you understand the world. This is the bread your ancestors ate and then they died. And what would happen if you saw the Son of Man ascending back to where he was before? This is the world view. Heaven's up there and we're down here. And there's a gulf between us. There's a story in, in the Gospel of Luke, a rich man and Lazarus, where the rich man ends up in a place called Hades, which may have the same thing to do with Sheol. There's lots of different names for a place of abandonment in, in the Bible, and we often sort of lump them all in with the idea of hell, but it's much more complicated than that. So whatever this place of, of, of uh, Hades is, there's the rich man, and he wants... Abraham, in this story, to go and get some water and and go and tell Lazarus, the poor man, to come and give some water to the rich man who's now suffering. But there's a gulf between them. There's a gulf between one world and the other. It's central to their whole worldview. But what if Jesus is shattering that worldview? That would be offensive. What if he is doing what Julian of Norwich was doing Norwich was doing last week in our text when we were reading from her when she said that we are not just made by God but we are made of God which is a shorthand she did actually write that but it's also a shorthand for all the other things she wrote about a deep interconnectedness with God those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me whatever's going on it's breaking down This worldview that's clearly and and easily understood. God's up there, we're down here. And the only way to bridge that gulf is to do some kind of sacrificial duty. Now in Judaism, the sacrifices were real in the temple. They actually sacrificed animals. But we do all kinds of other sorts of sacrifices. If I live a good moral life, if I refrain from when I was growing up in the uh, evangelical churches, it was don't drink, swear, or wear makeup, which I didn't wear a lot of anyway, or go to the movies. Oh, you weren't allowed to dance either. That was the other thing you couldn't do. Um, th- th- because if you do those things, you're proving to God that you're not worthy. But if you don't do them, and it was mostly about things you didn't do, there were things I was supposed to do too. And if I didn't do those things and I did the right things, then I would prove to God that I was worthy. And that's the way the world works. But Jesus is saying something quite different. He's saying you have to do something beyond You have to eat me. You have to realise that you are made out of the same thing as God is. You are filled with God. God is in you. God is you all the way through. So what how do we do that? Well Jesus said the spirit gives life, the flesh is useless. If we keep going with the same old model, it doesn't really work for us. Because you say you won't do these things, you say you will do these things, but you fall apart all the time. We none of us kind of manage to 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 keep up the good moral um position that we want to take, mostly we can but then we don't and, and then we weaken and, and we, as the story goes, it has to be topped up every day with the manna from heaven and then in the end you still die. The usual way of working in the world doesn't seem to work. It doesn't matter how careful we are, how clever we are, how educated we are, how morally upright we are, even if on the outside we still manage to put on a good show, on the inside, we know a deeper truth. And it's not that good, it's not that comfortable. Does this offend you, Jesus says? What would it be like if you saw the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? In other words, what would it be, like? I think this may be what Jesus is saying, what would it be like if we just went back to the old model, the one you're used to, where you have to turn up every day, being on your on your best behaviour all the time and hope for the best, working hard, not doing this, making sure you do that, in their case, coming to the temple with the, the right sort of sacrifice at the right time, in the right way. And you'll know that Jesus, in, right in the early part of this gospel, gets really angry with the temple system because of how difficult it is for people to navigate all the processes. What if there really is a gulf? How's that working out? Really? In your spirit, in your heart, how's that working out? It's kind of like a, a the idea of the manna coming down from heaven is like a kind of a drip feed. Every day, every day, but it's not enough. How's it working out? Well, it doesn't work. Remember last week we quoted, for those of you who were here, from the book of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah has God saying, look. This isn't working. I developed a covenant that I would do a part and you would do a part, but you never did your part. Or you did your part on the outside, but not on the inside. So I'm going to do a new covenant. And we quoted these words, I will put my law within them. This is God speaking. And I will write it on their hearts. It will be deep within them. I'll write it on their hearts. It's a pretty good metaphor, isn't it? For it will be somehow so much a part of them that they will no longer have to teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord. You won't have to do that anymore. You won't need priests. You won't need the sacrifice. You won't need any of those things. You won't need to say, Know the Lord, because they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. from the least to the greatest. Well, how does that work? Because we have a hierarchy of how things are supposed to go. And it's the greatest are the ones that are the most moral, the most upright, the live the best lives. And how could it be everyone? But isn't that what Jesus is saying all the way through the Gospel of John? Later on he says in, in the text we've got, I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Oh, good. There's a way in. Right. So we have to figure out how you get granted by the Father in order to get in. There's a, there's some rules. We can follow them. We kind of pounce on it. But remember, right at the very beginning of this gospel, the words say, this is the true light, meaning Jesus. It's the true light which enlightens everyone. All the way through the Gospel of John, Jesus says at another point in chapter 12, I will lift, when I am lifted up, I will draw everyone to me. So the morality rules don't seem to work. This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? That's what they say in response to everything Jesus is saying all through through chapter 6. It's difficult. Who can accept it? Why is it difficult? Because it's so hard? I don't think so. I think because it's so easy, there must be a catch. It can't just be a free gift. It can't be to everyone, regardless of how upright or not upright they are. Surely, there must be, there's no such thing as a free lunch. What are we doing here every week? If it's not a free lunch cares what condition you're in when you stagger down here like I do every week, and we take this. there's no rule about it. it's a free lunch. That's what we're being told over and over again in the Gospel of John and in this passage. Now does that mean everyone will accept it and receive it and live fully? No, of course, you can live as if the world is flat. But guess what? it's not flat. And you will still get all the benefits of the fact that it's round and that there's a climate and that there's weather and that there's oceans. All of the stuff that we're told is part of the gravitational force of the Earth and the fact that it's round and all of that, you still get that. Even if you insist, it's flat. Now, that still, that feels wrong, doesn't it? It can't be right. We're used to rules. We're used to the way of being done properly. This isn't proper. This is like... This this is anarchy. Everyone is allowed. When I, when I am come, Jesus says in, in John chapter 10, I will bring life in all its abundance. And when he feeds the 5,000 at the beginning of this story, there's 12 baskets left over. Like, this is nuts. This doesn't fit what we want at all. This is what I wrote in the Clayton this week, because it, it's easier, it, it, it's more concise than me just rabbiting on. They are offended that all their good education, all their good behaviour, all their right beliefs make no difference to God at all. God, according to Jesus, accepts and welcomes everyone everywhere, all the time. More than that, and to the deep offence of many of us good and upright people, the welcome and acceptance of God has already happened. Even before you were born, even before you woke up, even before you understood anything. It has taken place long before the upright and righteous can dig out and show their credentials. Of course you can live as if it's not true. I know you can, because I do all the time. We can live as as if there really was an outside and an inside, a sanctified group and a condemned group, a righteous group and an unrighteous group, and there's rules about this, that and the other thing, doctrines, rituals, criteria, But they're always and everywhere, according to Jesus' lies. When I'm lifted up, Jesus says, I will draw all people to me. Now, I still don't like it. I still feel like, yeah, but there's, right, there's going to be a catch, you know. I don't usually read the long list of of rules when I join up to a a, a Facebook site or another site on, but, but I know it's full of catches. There are all bunches of things I shouldn't do or if I do they'll use my information for something. You can read this thing backwards and forwards and you won't find a catch. Let me finish with these words. Robert Farah Capon, a Episcopalian a theologian who died about a decade ago, wrote a lot of stuff about grace and the offence of grace. How offensive it is to hear what I'm just been talking about and he said in many of his writings he said he still can't get to the point where he's not offended by it so much of the time because he's so used to a world of rules and regulations and uh, and consequences and used to a, a world where there's no free lunch so this quote just to finish jesus came to raise the dead he did not he did not come to teach the teachable He did not come to improve the improvable. He did not come to reform the reformable. None of these things work. Jesus came to raise the dead. Amen.